What's up, y'all? I am Chris Chouse, and this is Straight Chubb, the fantasy football podcast brought to you by the Fantasy Headliners. Welcome back to the show. I am joined tonight by the man who can kick the top of a door frame like nobody's business, Mr. Kyle Richardson. What's up, buddy? We forgot about that. You like that one? But yes, yes, I can. <laughs> I may or may not have hurt my toe when I did it, but yeah. I was, be- I forget who it was. Somebody bet me like, a draft guide that I couldn't do it. And yeah. I did it. You <laughs> so did it like a, champ. a draft guide. Yeah, man. You did it like a champ, man. You hit that door. I was like, no way, man. You were on injured. You were on injured reserve for like three weeks after that though. Yeah. The toe was black and blue because I was like, all right, I'm really going to have to get my foot up here. <laughs> and I got it up higher than even I was anticipating. And I kicked the hell out of that <laughs> door frame. Yeah, that, that was awesome. That was good fun. But welcome back, man. It's been a while. I mean, you know, we used to be able to be doing this, but I mean, you know, life gets in the way sometimes. And now, you know what? It's great to have you back. We do have a segment on this. I wonder if you want to partake, man. We have two of them. It's Are You a Moron or the Airing of Grievances? And it, Are You a Moron has to be You're the Moron. And if okay. that's the case, you got to let me know because I got some music for that. If not, you want to air some some grievances? Air it out right now. We can do either or. It doesn't matter to me. We can do them both. <laughs> you you pick one. Go ahead. We, we can do the moron one. Okay. Let me get that music for you, man. Are you a moron? Uh, yes. Why are you a moron? Because I'm going to fall in love with Joe Mixon again this year, and everyone's going to hate me for it. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That is a good one, man. Joe Mixon. I was actually, I was going to do a little, uh, I was going to do a little like short video for Patreon today. Um, cause I found out like on the Patreon app, you can do like short videos and they just upload right to Patreon. Mm. So I think I'm going to start doing like this little morning commute thing where I record myself while I'm driving to work. And then I'm going to post it when I'm just talking about random, random stuff, but I was going to post something today about it, man. And you know, it's one of those things where I'm, I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, did I over, I overhype Joe Mixon last year? Yes, I did. I had mm. him as running back three. I was way off. I get it. I, I was, I was wrong on that one. My bad. However, this is where one of those things where people just need to just keep it in mind when listening to fantasy analysts and things of that nature and why you shouldn't just absolutely tear in to us when we get one wrong here or there. Mm. Let me explain because at this point I'm thinking to myself, if I push Joe Mixon again, people are going to hate me. They're going to yell at me. They're going to be in the comments. We had people that sent me like literal, just nasty comments last year about my Joe Mixon take. So somebody out there who might not be as strong willed as I am trying to make it in this industry. They're like, man, I really want to go with this guy again, but I can't because of last year. And I don't want to get all this hate and I can't handle it again. And things of that nature. So that's just something for for people to keep in mind. You know, when somebody gets something wrong, and I think our community here, they understand. They know we get things a lot more right than what we get them wrong. And we're going to miss sometimes, and that happens because everybody does. But Mm -hmm. for those of you listening that might be new or might not be as embedded into our community as what some other people are, you know, if we get something wrong, you know, don't, don't lay into us about it. You know, we know that we were wrong. We do a video at the end of every year about where we were right or where we were wrong, because if you do it to anybody, you might talk them out of that player next year. And let's say I skip on Joe Mixon this year and he hits and he's a top 10 running back or top 12 running back. Then you're going to give me crap this year because I didn't call it this year. I call, I tried calling it last year. So it's just one of those things I just want to throw out there. One of those things I want to talk through. That's a good one. I, I like that one a lot. And you know what? Here's the thing. I agree wholeheartedly. And everyone here needs to understand that fantasy football is there. There is a there is a, a little bit of luck that goes along with it. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Injuries, scheme, uh, uh, you know, one day off. These guys are human beings. They're not robots, man. So, you know, they might take a game off here or there. 
it doesn't mean the evaluation process was incorrect. And here's the thing about Joe Mixon. I don't believe that the evaluation was off on Joe Mixon. There was so many things that came to, to, to make his season the way it was last year. The injuries to himself, the injuries to Joe Burrow, the offensive line wasn't up to par. So I totally get it. And I agree that maybe you were just a year premature on it. It doesn't mean you were necessarily wrong. Ranking him up in three, it's taking your shot at it because you really truly believed in what he could have done. Okay. Was it a swing and a miss this past year? Sure. And it, it does happen to all of us. I mean, no matter who you are, you know, you're, you're an analyst like us, or, you know, you're, you're just a regular casual fantasy football player. It happens, man. This is why we have the waiver wire. This is why we try to still do this type of thing. I mean, you know, don't get it all twisted that it's such a big deal that your season's over just on one call. It does. And I've seen a few people comment because Jake actually included Joe Mixon in a video the other day about, you know, people whose whose value was going up and his is. I mean, you've gotten rid of Gio Bernard. You have brought in another offensive weapon to stretch the field. Um, the offensive line, they've made some moves in free agency. Jonah Williams is another year removed from that nasty injury that took him out for the entire year. So, I mean, they have done some things to improve that offensive line. And the hope is, and we just talked about this on a show that we just recorded for the fantasy headliners for rookie rankings. You know, the hope is, is that Joe Burrow coming back from this knee injury, they're not going to try and throw the ball Mm. like every single play like they did last year. It's just something we probably also didn't factor in last year, how much of Joe Burrow was going to be throwing the ball. But I mean, Joe Mixon running back 13 back in 2019, just outside the top 12 running back nine in 2018, just inside the top 12. Um, the year after, or the year before that in 2017, I know he was much further down that year. I think there was an issue with injuries and yeah, you only played in 14 games. So he had issues there, but I mean, we've seen him finish at or close to a top 12 running back before, but you know, people do this thing where they're like, Oh, I got burned last year. I can't do this again. You can't think that way in fantasy football. You can never think that way. You always have to look at it from a year-to-year decision, especially if you play in like redraft leagues. If you play in dynasty and you're like, oh, I can't have this guy on my roster anymore. Okay, I get it. But in redraft leagues, you're not feeling that same pain year after year. You got to look at it differently. Also, last year, you probably had to take him with a late first, early second. This year, you might be getting him in the third or the fourth. Mm. How many running backs are going to get as many touches as Joe Mixon going in the third or the fourth round? See, and I agree with that because now that we coin, you coined that phrase how many times, and I stole it from you, is the recency bias. Yeah. And, and the recency bias on Joe Mixon is going to give you supreme value. So now here's the thing. Even if we covet him even in a top eight category this season – and you're getting him in the third round. I mean, that's fantastic value, and he could definitely hit. I like Joe Mixon. I mean, yes, he does. Like, I mean, even the Miles Sanders, you start talking about that in that same respect. The Miles Sanders, he hasn't been able to stay fully upright for full 16 games throughout his career, if I'm not mistaken. So there's always things that happen with these guys, and if they can finally put it together, the, the I mean, it's off the charts of what they can actually do. I like yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, when you look at – the amount of touches somebody gets uh, in a season, you know, we're talking about a guy that could potentially have over 300 touches Mm. and getting him in the third or the fourth round. That's not going to happen in in fantasy football. It just, it just doesn't No, that's gold. If that does happen, (laughs) but I mean, you know, maybe I'm not a moron, but maybe I am. You know what? I I liked it anyway. It was a good way to kick off the show, man. Now you're not, you're a half chub. Yeah, you're half chub. You're baptized now when they are you a moron. So we're good now. Aaron Rodgers, man, the elephant in the room. We got to discuss this because, I mean, this is massive. Every single ounce of it is massive for football in general, for fantasy football uh, completely. I mean, now you're seeing Devontae Adams tweeting out saying, you, you know, you got to appreciate what you have when you have it. And that, that doesn't sound very good, especially if, if Adams is calling it out. So, I mean, everybody knows by now that Aaron Rodgers isn't happy. He is extremely angry with the upper management. I've heard he wants to have the general manager fired, and that would be a major step in him coming back. I really doubt that the Green Bay Packers are going to fire their general manager just for Aaron Rodgers, uh, especially with how they build their their organization. They're very good at drafting. They sign their own. 
and, and they draft very well. So the argument was, you know, the Jordan love effect, Kyle. So they drafted Jordan love and that's where this kind of all kicked off. And there's, there's so many arguments in this conversation because this is exactly how Aaron Rodgers got into this league. It was with Brett Favre and Brett Favre was angry when they drafted Aaron Rodgers. And now the same thing happens. The exact same formula that the green Bay Packers used to get Aaron Rodgers the starting job from Brett Favre. They trying to do the same thing and hedging their bets with, with love and, and Aaron Rodgers can't handle it, man. Like, am I, am I really not seeing this correctly? I mean, does he seem kind of like he's crybabyish? He does, but I think I kind of get it, to be honest with you. And yes, just being upset about your quote unquote replacement being drafted. I mean, how many times was Tom Brady's placement redraft mm. or replacement drafted in New England? Right. Uh, a lot, and it never happened. <laughs> so, Correct. I mean, it took him actually physically leaving, and then it was Cam Newton that replaced him of all people. <laughs> you know, I think the problem, I think the problem with the Jordan Love pick isn't the Jordan Love pick; it's what they could have done with the Jordan Love pick. True. It's the fact that they've spent years just not really putting those weapons around him. Um, that he deserves because they've been very close. Basically what we've seen now is decades of two of the greatest quarterbacks of all time to play the game and only get two rings out of it. Mm. That shouldn't happen. Right. And it probably in part, he feels like if I had better weapons or, you know, since, you know, Cobb and, and Jordy Nelson were here along with Devonte Adams, I really haven't had that kind of a support. It's clear that he doesn't have the type of rapport with Lazard or MBS that he would like to, you know, I think it's one of those things like, Hey, we could draft offensive line. We could draft wide receivers, you know, bring in a tight end. I mean, Tunyon wasn't even a tight end. He was, I mean, he was a guy that came in, I believe as a defensive player. Wasn't he, wasn't he, didn't yeah. he come in as like, I forgot about that. Yeah, I think he was, man. Yeah, he was a defensive player that went to the practice squad. They moved him to tight end, and then he came. So he's basically getting these reused pieces, and That's they tried. Right. They, they signed Devin Funches. Like, you really thought Devin Funches was going to be the guy last year? So. Yeah. That's that's why I feel like he has an issue with it because it's not necessarily the Jordan Love pick. It's that they're drafting Jordan Love instead of drafting weapons for him because he probably feels like if you give me weapons, I've got six more years left. Yeah. Like that's too long. Draft my replacement in a year or two. Like give me some more time. Give me these weapons and then get my replacement. I think that's why he's upset about it. Yeah, fair enough. And I mean, I, I always look at it from that perspective as well. I almost I share the same opinion for so long. And as this continued, when he starts naming off his teams that he may want to be traded to, I started to think and I'm like, OK, so I said the same degree. I said he hasn't had the weapons overall to make him uh, uh, move forward. And they've been to the NFC championship. So they're basically almost there. And everyone's saying in the far cry, like you're saying, is that give him more weapons, it'll take them over the top. So now I go back and I say, we're not that far off removed from the Jordan. And I was playing devil's advocate with myself because I'm like, we're not that far off removed from the Jordy Nelson, uh, Randall Cobb, James Jones. And then, you know, even you put in Devontae Adams for a season, I believe. But I mean, the thing is, the defense is what was was uh, is what was hampered with all those offensive pieces that they were paying so much. So it's almost like the upper management altered their approach and said, you know what, Aaron, you know, you have Devonte, He's a baller. You have a running game with Aaron Jones. We'll try to give you a few more pieces, but let's build that defense to stop people from doing anything. And you're so damn good. You're going to win for us. And it still isn't working. So now I'm sitting here saying, so what is really the problem? So now others are saying, you know, it's the conversation that was never had between upper management and Aaron Rodgers that when they drafted Jordan Love. But to me, again, okay, yeah, is it a kind respect to say to your, your all-star quarterback, MVP quarterback, Super Bowl champion quarterback, hey, man, we're going to draft this quarterback to learn from you. And you know what? If it goes anywhere, it does. If it doesn't, he's just going to hold the clipboard for his uh, half of his career. Okay, I get that point of view as well. But I mean, there's so many working pieces in the fact that they had offense before, never won. And then they have defense these last two years, and they still can't get over the hump. So, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss, and I, I agree with you, but then I kind of started seeing it from the other uh, angle as well. And if Aaron Rodgers wants to leave, I, I think it's I, – I, I question what, what the motivation truly, truly is. Yeah, and I think, you know, a couple other things to think about too is – you know, Jordan Love being drafted at 26 overall last year, mm. 
by a lot of people's standards was a reach. Right. So even at that point, you you probably reached to get Jordan Love when you really didn't need to. So that might be something that's a contributing factor as well. Another thing, you know, kind of tossing out there, anybody that's listening to this that's 40 or older is probably going to shake their finger at me. <laughs> but we're at a different age of football now. We're mm-hmm. We're at an age where really the players are just as invested in the organization as the people making the decisions. Now, does that mean that the players should be brought in on every single decision? No, it does not. Right. But when you have a quarterback like Aaron Rodgers, I think catching him off guard with that type of a draft pick is not in the best interest. That's probably where you sit down with Aaron Rodgers and have that conversation and say, look, man, This is what we think we have. This is what we would like to do. We want to bring in a guy that's going to learn from you that can be ready to go in another four or five years. You might not like it. You know, we're sorry about that. Sometimes you just got to have those conversations with people instead of saying, oh boy, he's going to be upset about this, but we're going to do it anyway because we feel we need to do it. Now, if it's Andy, do you think Andy Dalton was consulted about Justin Fields? Hell no. And he no. shouldn't have been because Andy <laughs> right. Dalton isn't Aaron Rodgers. Right. So, yeah, there so is, there's, yeah, there's yeah. some differences between quarterbacks there as well, but that's, that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards Aaron Rodgers and saying, I get it. I understand why he's upset and, and why he's, you know, you know, basically threatening to leave at this point or retire or whatever it might be. Um, but I don't think Green Bay has done a good job of working themselves out of this situation either. Yeah, so it's kind of funny, and I and I agree with you there because it's almost the same deal in how they handled Brett Favre. So it's almost like they can't handle their top quarterbacks and understand how to how to talk the situation out. It's it's so peculiar because they're so good at keeping in house all the players they draft, and, and they just can't satisfy their their franchise quarterbacks. I find that astounding, man. Yep unbelievable you catch this one man we're, we're kind of diving into headlines right now but i mean dk metcalf and this is a concern man he this is a concern to me he is saying that he's going to be trying out for the olympic team for the track team and if he gets that i mean so this is this is kind of worrisome did for me, he though. like did he sign up for a race the other day is that what i read today yeah no he's actually trying out for the olympic trials okay he, so it was the trials yeah. that he's okay because yeah. i saw it and i was like what is he doing like is he that bored i don't know what the hell to think of this i mean yeah okay he's got electric speed and he wants to see what he can do against the best of the best on the olympic stage but I mean, taking your focus away from football after having such a damn good season. I mean, can he do both? Maybe I'm overthinking this thing. You know, for me, I'd rather have him doing that than something else, because yeah, when okay. you're competing at a high level like that, your focus is going to be there. And if he's doing something off the field, I would rather have it be something like that where he is ultra focused. Now, if you're the GM or Pete Carroll, you're probably holding your breath a little bit, hoping he doesn't come up lame, pull a hamstring because that type of running is not, you know, not the type of running you do in the NFL, you know, in the NFL, you've got that stop and start, you've got that burst acceleration, you know, depending on what he's trying out for, which I don't know what event it is. You've got 100 meter running there. Yeah. The 100 so, meter track. you know, I, but there's other things that he could be investing in his time in as well that could take, you know, could take it off of, I mean, people give Juju Smith Schuster a bunch of crap and saying that he's not invested because he loves social media and he loves, you know, being an influencer and stuff like that. Not that I have a problem with that, sure. but I mean, it, I mean, what if he was doing that? Would people be upset about that too? What, you know, there's a lot of players that have taken up streaming video games recently, would people be upset if he was doing that with his free time? Like, so it's one of those things where I'm like, you know, when you're competing at this type of level, it takes a special person and it takes, you know, a concentration and a dedication. And if you're spending your time off the field doing that, there's much worse things that you could do because that's the type of concentration that when you're done with it, you can just switch it back over. And now it's time for football, I think. Yeah. Okay. And I, and I, from that, from that argument, I don't hate it because yes, he could be doing some, some negative things. And this is, this is solely a positive thing. I agree. But my concern is, is football related wholeheartedly outside of anything. I mean, the injury concern, the mm-hmm. training concern. So you, like you just said, and you said it very well, is that you're training to do something very different. 
Yep. And and what that will do is create muscle memory for this man. And and now that that's that scares me to think that that is there time to to untrain yourself that muscle memory and retrain it back for football because uh, football shape is different than track uh, uh, shape. And I mean hundred meter dash, you're going straight full bore speed. Um, that's kind of my concern. I mean, will he have something of a drop off when he comes back in say maybe the first three weeks of the season and then amidst also having a, a Russell Wilson who is unhappy? I don't know, man. This this doesn't look good to me for football wise. Yeah, it's the it's the injury concern for me. That that would be my biggest issue with it. Um, you know, from everything else, I wouldn't be with it. So it'll be interesting to see. I don't know when the race is either. I'm trying to look that up real quick. I don't know when. These yeah, trials would be. Um, I didn't catch that one either. I just read the highlight and I was like, oh, what the heck is going on? It doesn't. Oh, Sunday. So he's competing in the USA track and field golden games and distance open, which is Sunday in Walnut, California. USATF's website lists Metcalf among the participants in the 100 meter dash. So. So I no mean, he could go on Sunday, run and not make it. If he doesn't make it, then, you know, it's out the door and it's done with at this point. Yeah. The the thing would be if he qualifies, like, you know, he's going to have, if he goes to the Olympics, if he's going to be competing, um, you know, when is he going to get back? When's he going to be able to go back to football training, things like that. Personally, I'd be more worried about the, the travel <laughs> because yeah, fair with everything going on with COVID still and having to fly overseas and be over at these games, I know they're talking about not even having spectators there. So those are the type of things that, you know, would worry me is health wise. What could end up happening? Yeah, I agree. I agree. It was, it was an interesting point. Wanted to highlight that. I mean, give an opinion on that one for sure. We talked about these two gentlemen and, and you know, my love for Mr. Salvin Ahmad, you have a love for miles Gaskin and we were dancing a jig on draft day because they did not draft their replacement or add to this room that's going to give you pause and and believe that someone's going to take their carries away. I loved what this backfield did last year, especially when Salvin Ahmad came in because he was the undrafted guy. He was floated around the league, San Francisco, somewhere else, then Miami. And I, I believe I even had him on my dynasty roster. And there was one week I was saying, when the hell did he get traded to Miami? Like I, I didn't even see the highlight. I was like, what the hell did I miss? And and now you got Gaskin and Ahmad in this offense with, with, you know, they, they really did a good job in this draft to surround tool with weapons and, and have the trust in these two running backs and giving them an offensive line. 50, 50, 60, 40 backfield going more probably toward Gaskin. But I mean, how do we see this backfield shaken out? Because I really think that there's a lot of good here. Chris, do you, do you want to sneak peek at something? Oh, I like to sneak it. Do you want a little behind the scenes tidbit? Oh, okay. So for everybody listening, we have our draft guide every year. And part of our draft guide is my dynamic running back rating. If you've bought the draft guide, you know what it is. If you've never bought our draft guide before, our dynamic running back rating is something that I developed a couple of years ago. It was well over a year of me trying to produce and figure out and fine tune. And really what this scoring system does for me is it determines the upside of what a running back can offer you. Cause when we put players out on the field, we want to know who has the highest upside. We have to score the most points in fantasy football, right? That's what this does for me. And it goes on a game by game basis as well. So, and it goes on a touch by touch basis. So if guys miss time, it doesn't really, it doesn't really hurt them in the scoring system because I want to know what they do and can do when they're on the field. Mm. So that's just a little bit of a sneak peek behind the scenes at what I've been doing the 2020 scores are done. They're in the system. I've had a chance to review them a little bit. Miles Gaskin by the DRBR standards Uh was a top 12 running back last year. Um, He outscored guys like Josh Jacobs, Austin Eckler, Ezekiel Elliott, Miles Sanders, Chris Carson, Antonio Gibson, Melvin Gordon, Ronald Jones, CEH, DeAndre Swift, Kenyon Drake, Raheem Moster, Kareem Davis, even or Kareem Hunt, even Mike Davis is who I was going to say after that. Um, So and he had a much, 
and I don't mean to do this to your guy, he had a much higher score than Salvin Ahmed. Mm. Or just to kind of look at it, Salvin Ahmed's score last year came in at a 47. Um, where'd Gaskin go? Gaskin came in at a 67. The highest score last year was a 94 by McCaffrey. Only two running backs scored in the 80 and only one, two, three, four, five running backs scored in the 70s. So a a rating of 67 is a is a pretty good rating. It's not it's not all like running back one all the time upside, but is a it is a definite starter with like RB2 upside potential every single week. That's why I was excited because I can't wait to write about Miles Gaskin even more. He had really good scores and his tackles avoided per attempt. He had really good scores uh, and his receptions after the catch. I would have liked to see a little bit more yards after contact, but that's not really his game anyway. Right. So it doesn't worry me too much, but Oh man, it was one of those scores. When I put this in, it popped out. I was like, okay, Gaskin, I see you. I yeah. see you. Yeah, so yeah, I'm yeah. glad they didn't draft a replacement for him. And, and I think it's warranted that they didn't. And, and you know, we all, I even had a mock in like uh, either a Harris or an Etienne to take over this backfield, but obviously they're, they're very comfortable with what they have in this room. And I mean, it was so comfortable with the two of them that, you know, Matt Brito was not even, he was non-existent. So, I mean, I like it too. I mean, you know what it is for me, depending on where you're getting Gaskin to where you're getting a mod, I think is kind of the difference for me, but also you're setting the expectation because Gaskin will clearly out uh, uh, perform Ahmad unless uh, another injury transpires, you know, and if it wasn't for Ahmad's injury himself to his shoulder, you never know what could have happened. He could have had another three games of very high productivity because I believe that one, he did go over a hundred yards and a touchdown, if not two. And I mean, he looked very good in the process. So with, with all the wide receivers and speed you have with uh will fuller and now uh jalen waddle good god i mean there's going to be no stacked boxes in miami it's going to be very difficult for them to to not have find open lanes in this in this run game yeah and if they use miles gaskin in the receiving game again this year he had really good scores and receptions and receiving yards he's going to have a lot of open room because people mm. are going to be chasing wide receivers and Mike Gusecki all over the place. Agreed, man. Totally agree. It's, it's an, it's an interesting topic sticking. So there with, you go. Headliner nation. There and you go. Chris. There's some insider trading by Kyle from the draft guide. Make sure you go uh, buy that right now. It's at the fantasy Get that thing. It is, it is magical. I think it's like what, what 100,000 virtual pages. 100,000. <laughs> oh my god did if i overstep all the pages i quit i'm done <laughs> we're, we're done <laughs> it's a it's a lot of pages believe me man you guys will not regret it if you don't have it definitely get one this year it is a it is i i have to say i've seen a lot of them and i and even though i i write for it so i'm a little biased but i mean it's it's one of the best if not the best draft guides out there right now Whew, i agree New England. So New England has a lot of things moving and I want to stick with running backs because uh, this is a very interesting topic to me. The New England Patriots backfield. Now again, it's a crapshoot. We understand that Bill Belichick loves his running backs. Okay. It's just a staple in what he has. He needs to have at least like six to feel comfortable on his, on his, at least, (laughs) at least six and he may use four of them and and you know you're you getting headaches because you don't know who to start every year so now the headline already here in may it's early we're supposed to have otas i think a lot of teams opted out of that but i mean harris and sony michelle are now making the headlines to suggest that they will be the tandem moving into the season which i could see you know early on week one week two maybe week three but they drafted my guy, Ramondre Stevenson, and I've been promoting this guy the entire offseason. I love his game. I actually think that you're the one that kind of turned me on to his tape that one time going back. So I'll give you the props for that one. You're like, have you seen this Stevenson guy? And I'm like, yeah, I haven't seen him yet. I looked at the tape and I was in love from from jump. And I mean, when they drafted Stevenson, I think that this is a very interesting dynamic that they could put in this backfield. And Harris and Stevenson together give that big body power back approach where Stevenson also can give you something in the past game where Sony Michelle cannot, in my opinion, mm-hmm. where do you see this shaking out? Does Stevenson get a, a, a lot more workload than we're thinking by like week six, or is he more like a week 10? I think it really depends on when Sony Michelle goes down with his injury. Sure. <laughs> that, that's going <laughs> to be inevitable. Yeah. The, the biggest factor 
and, and having James White back for another year doesn't really help either. So like my 2021 expectations are not super high at this point. Um, he might get a few touches here or there, but if guys are healthy, I definitely think he's going to be on the back end. I mean, they drafted Sonny Michelle. They went with him in the first round and then they take Damien Harris. Was it two years later or a mm, year later? A year later, I think. Or a year later. Yeah. Um, you know, they, and you know, Sonny Michelle was kind of the guy, but you know, has been hurt and on and off the field. And it didn't really seem like they were given Harris the amount of touches that they should have. And James White has been a guy who continues to get, you know, obviously a lot of work in the passing game. So for me, it's hard to really predict what's going to happen in 2021. I'm probably staying away from everybody unless I can get Harris as like my RB4, mm. maybe RB3. I don't know. If I'm going with him as my RB3, I'm probably not feeling good about my RB depth at that point. Um, but I just, I don't know, because I think there's going to be a lot of touches split around everybody uh it's 2022 where i'm like okay it's just harris it's just stevenson hopefully michelle is gone at that point hopefully they don't resign james white and that is when i'm like okay i'm truly investing in this backfield now whereas you know stevenson you know both of these guys are kind of going to share a similar workload i think they're both going to get some touches in the passing game they're obviously both going to get touches in the ground i think stevenson is a guy that might be focused on as the goal line back as we get a little bit closer to that too um, so it, it's 2022 where I get excited. I'm just, I don't have a whole lot of expectations this year. Yeah, fair enough. And I, I, I you know what it is? I just can't get off the skill set. I, I really believe that, okay, he had off field issues. Stevenson did. I'm speaking of, you know, and, and he came from JC. I mean, so his path to the NFL has been a little bit uh, tr- uh, difficult uh, for, for lack of a better term, but I mean, he, he, he really has climbed his way. And if he can get his head right, I think, and, and not get into trouble, I think that, you know, he has a, a, a potential ceiling uh, that a lot of people will be surprised at, but you heard it here first on straight chub and on headliner. You, we love the guy i love the guy i think he's oh yeah i'm excited for him how about a little draft talk man the draft just ended we need to talk this up a little bit you want to talk some draft let's do it oh first one i got and that i'm thinking about a lot and i know jake kind of talked about this one as well we i believe he uh, i don't remember where he said it maybe he was on the live stream he said Najee Harris has the potential to be like Clyde Edwards Hilaire in being so overly hyped and not matching that hype. Yep. While I agreed with him a little bit on that one, I kind of disagreed as well because Pittsburgh desperately needs this running back. And it is because of Ben Roethlisberger, in my opinion. You have a plethora of wide receivers in this wide receiver room that you know is going to be getting the ball. They really require that full running back. James Conner just wasn't that guy. Najee Harris is kind of like the lesser to a sake one, in my opinion. I, I still comp uh, Najee as a, another Le'Veon Bell, a bigger, stronger Le'Veon Bell, because he really holds a lot of the same characteristics that Bell did. And in this offense, I, I don't know, man, if, if, if you're drafting him in the, I don't even know, maybe back end of the first round, I still don't even hate it. My problem is, is that offensive line is probably going to be the worst Pittsburgh offensive line that we've seen in quite some time. True. So that's where my concern becomes, it comes in because, you know, how many times does Harris get blown up in the backfield? You know, how many, how many extra yards is he going to have to fight for? Um, you know, what's the defense going to look like if the defense is good and they can afford to just run the football, it's fine but they play in, in one of, if not the toughest division in all of football. So they're going to have some teams that can put points up, up on them. And they're probably going to have to be throwing it a lot. Still. I, I still think they're going to throw a lot. So in, in terms of where does, and I was trying to look for some current ADP, what I have seen from some people or what I have heard from some people is that Harris has been going like in some mock drafts, is like the RB eight. So Ooh. you are going to be looking at like late first, early second, probably to get a hold of him. That's pretty darn spicy for me. Um, 
is it as bad as CEH last year? No, because well, it's close. See, by the time draft season was done, CEH was a late first round, early second round pick. Yeah. Um. So I mean, he could end up falling into that same area. Right. Right now, it looks like the ECR has him at 18 overall. It looks like the highest somebody has him is nine. I'm also trying to see if it's based on people who have actually updated their rankings recently, or (laughs) if it's people who did it before the draft and then didn't do it afterwards. But you know, that that's my concern is that if he gets blown up too much, is he going to have too many inconsistent performances to place him that high? And that's where some of that craziness that we saw last year from CEH could make things out of hand this year. You know, something that Harris has going for him this year that CH didn't have going for him last year, though, um, is basically kind of like past production, right? Mm-hmm. So last year when we saw CEH coming off the board, people were talking about, well, this is what Andy Reid did with Brian Westbrook, and this is what Andy Reid did with Kareem Hunt, and this is what happened with Jamal Charles, and blah, 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 and all this. You don't have that with Najee Harris. You don't right. say that about James Conner. Yes, they had Le'Veon Bell, but Najee Harris and Le'Veon Bell aren't really the same in terms of how they're used. And no one's really used too much like that anymore anyway. So that's one of the things keeping it keeping it down more is that we see Najee Harris not necessarily with that high upside. It looks like now that I filtered it out, Based on people who have done their ranking since the draft ended, he's coming in at RB15 right now behind Sanders, Mixon, Gibson, Eckler, Akers. Personally, I I'm I might have him above Miles Sanders at I, this I, point. I'm, I'm there. But J.K. Dobbins is behind him. Yep. Swift is behind him. CEH is behind him. David Montgomery is behind him. Those are all guys that if someone wanted to argue being in front of them, I would probably not have a good argument for, against that. So it's fair. maybe not Swift. Jamal Williams, I think, is, is going to make a little bit more of an impact this year than what some people think. But uh, but the other guys, I mean, CEH, I'm willing to jump back on this year because I'm not going to have to spend a first round pick on him. Yeah, fair enough. And I mean, it is going to be rich. And I think that's where Jake was coming from with that argument as well as saying that it's too rich for the value to return on investment. And I, and I can fully agree. And if, if, if I'm sitting there at one, one twelve and, and I'm like, okay, you know, I have decisions to make. I don't hate it only because they don't have any other competition for him. I, I, I was a McFarlane guy. Okay. I get it, but that's not his role. He tried, they tried to do it last year. He is the change of pace guy. In my opinion, mm-hmm. I don't think it's going to really do outside of maybe a few big games here or there. I, I really don't see it from McFarlane taking over this backfield. He legit by default falls into this starting position. Kind of like we saw with Zeke Elliott. And, and I think with, with this offense, okay, the receiving core is loaded. We know this. So it's going to make it very easy for him to run. I do agree 110% that they lost so much on this offensive line that it is a big concern. However, I do agree that Najee is that talented. He, the only thing that misses it from his game, and it's just like from Lev, he didn't have the breakaway speed. And, and that's legit. That's all that's missing. He is a very good receiver. He's extremely athletic. Once he gets the ball in his hand, maybe we do see a little bit more check down Pittsburgh was extremely strong at going very short passing so maybe they continue Ben's arm is gonna fall off if he throws 600 balls again so they gotta be like two yard outs to not you can throw it to him left-handed there you can kick it to him you know (laughs) however he needs to get him the ball but I mean there is upside here and and for me if we're talking May 4th and, and we're talking about where do we see Najee finishing this year? I have no issues right now saying he's going to go two thirty carries uh, anywhere from 1050 to 1150. And I could see six to eight touchdowns and adding another 45 receptions. That's kind of where I see his, his rookie year going only because of how this offense is built and the defense is still good enough to give the offense more opportunities. So long as big Ben, they, they have to lean on, this ground game get back to the play action pass to help ben roethlisberger i think that's how that's how i see Najee getting to these numbers but i don't fault the argument to suggest that it it may not happen because of the o-line well Najee harris may the fourth be with you this isn't going to come out on the fourth so that doesn't matter people are going to be like you're a little bit late on that but we court recorded on the fourth so let's play a quick game i want to play a quick game with you okay 
So we are going to assume, let's say you drafted the back half of the first round. So you're picking in that, we'll say 10, 11, 12 area. We know Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Derrick Henry, Saquon Barkley, Alvin Kamara for sure are all going to be gone. So those are your top five running backs there. Devontae Adams, Nick Chubb likely, those guys I'm going to say will be gone as well. Right. So at that point, let me ask you this. Do you draft Najee Harris over Jonathan Taylor? Ooh. Oh, that's a toughie, man. That's a toughie. I think I got to go JT still just because Carson Wentz and, and the offensive line, I still will go JT there. But that is, that's getting close. I mean, it's in the conversation to me. Do you take him over Zeke? Oh, again, with Dak back, if Dak is healthy, I don't think I can do that either. Do you take him over Aaron Jones? Yes. Okay. I I'm going to him. assume Tyreek Hill is gone. Do you take him over Stefan Diggs? Oh, why, why would you do it? <laughs> Do not do that to me. That No comment. Do you take him over DeAndre Hopkins? See, and this is where it comes because the receiver depth is so damn big. I mean, that's a, that's a tough one. I think that's, that's a toss-up. I think, uh, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd really sit there and struggle with that one. I really would. Do you take him over A.J. Brown? Mm, yes. Do you take him over Cam Akers? Ooh, another good one. I like Cam. I, I think, uh, you know, with Matthew Stafford, I like Cam this year a lot. I think I would probably go with Cam in that one. Austin Eckler. Yes. Okay. I yes. probably would too. What yes. about Calvin Ridley? Yes. DK yes. Metcalf? Yes. Okay. At that point, then we're getting a little bit lower. So like Antonio Gibson, I feel like you could make an argument there. Joe Mixon, you can make an argument. I don't know if I would take him over Justin Jefferson. Yeah, that's a tough one, too. I don't think I would either. It, and then, yeah, then you're getting and then he's coming in right now. It looks like if you're looking at the ECR for overall players, overall, he's coming in at 27 right now. So like directly in front of him, he's got Keenan Allen, Miles Sanders, Kittle, Mahomes, which I would definitely take him over Mahomes. I'm not right. taking a quarterback that early. Right. And then right behind him, you've got Allen Robinson, Michael Thomas, DeAndre Swift, J.K. Dobbins, Terry McLaurin, Clyde Edwards, Alaire. So that gets that would be tough if you're sitting there at the end and and you I don't it's it, it first round early second is probably a little bit too spicy for me if I can get like Dalvin Cook at the beginning of the first and him at the end of the second that I'm probably okay with but I would probably want to wait till the end of the second yeah I would love Najee as my RB too if if that's the case I think I hit a home run you actually taught made me think about it as we were discussing this and I'm almost talking myself out of my my points because I mean the Browns their defense is just stellar this year so that's two games the Ravens you know their defense that's two games that's that's tough man that's four games of of limited productivity so I mean that has to come into play as well that Browns defense is going to be in Pittsburgh's backfield oh, all year oh, long. They're oh. not even going to be playing against them and they're going to look up and there's just going to be someone from the Browns staying yeah. in their backfield at some yeah. point. in time. That Browns defense to me on paper is like making me have Chubb right now. It's just massive. Kenny Gainwell to excited. Philly. Yeah. Let's talk some Kenny Gainwell, buddy. I, okay. I really, I really like Kenny Gainwell. And you know, fun fact for those of you that don't know, his cousin is Fletcher Cox, teammate now. And I did not know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, pretty cool story, man. I saw that his okay. cousin's uh, Fletcher Cox. Okay. So when the pick was made, I didn't think a whole lot about it. But after I sat down and looked at it, I was like, oh God, Miles Sanders, you're yeah. you're you're kind of screwed. Yeah. Um because I think we've, I think we've seen from Philly at this point now, new coaching, there's, there's a new coaching regime there too. So that's always something that you've got to factor in is maybe they look at this and they say, yeah, Miles Sanders wasn't our guy. He wasn't our pick, but we feel like Gainwell would be a good compliment to him. But there's also the side of it too, that maybe they look at it and say, Miles Sanders wasn't our guy. We don't, we're not in love with him. Mm. I mean, he's had, he hasn't really been the best so far. But that's part of it. Like Miles Sanders really hasn't like he's had some good games, but he really hasn't done anything to make us go, Ooh, boy, like mm -hmm. we got to have him. Yeah. Gainwell's going to see going to see some targets in the passing game, especially considering, you know, wide receiver wise. Yes, they have Smith now. Um, you know, Rager, is he going to be healthy? Great. 
you know, is Ertz still going to be on the team? Obviously, if that ends up being, you know, if he's ends up being traded, which they haven't talked about that in a while, that changes things as well. You have Goddard still. So, I mean, it's not the strongest receiving core in the world. Nope. So, I mean, obviously, yeah, a lot of opportunity there for some checks, check downs and, and getting the ball out. If the offensive line struggles at all, Jalen hurts is kind of the key factor here. If Jalen hurts takes a step forward and is able to push the ball down the field, Gainwell might not see as much if he's struggling with his accuracy and he's just not what they had hoped for. He's probably dumping the ball off quite a bit. Yeah. See, and that's where I'm at. So we've had this discussion so many times with all these younger quarterbacks. If you want them to develop well, you need to surround them with a, a, a applicable talent, appropriate talent. And here's the thing with Gainwell. When I watched his film, I was, I was pleasantly surprised and impressed. I didn't expect it to be as good as it was. Everyone was talking him up and I said, well, hold on, let's pump the brakes on the bias a little bit, but he really truly is a very sound running back and he is going to make his money in the past game. Now the head coach comes over. We'll see how it transpires. But I mean, it's still the same type of pedigree that Frank Reich runs. I mean, this is type of the same. He comes from the same school, same tree. And, and who did uh, Frank Reich actually employ extremely well with Philip Rivers? Mr. Naheem Hines. And, and this is kind of how you can see this morphing a little bit, okay? Now, if we're, if we're talking 50-50 split in this backfield with him and Miles, I mean, I love it all day long. And now what you're going to do, everyone's going to say, again, the volume isn't there for me to trust in fantasy football, but now it's about efficiency. And this is where it comes into play. Some players are very efficient with their targets and their, and their touches. And when you see this transpire, this is where you gain the most value. When you have these guys on your bench in a good matchup, you put them in your lineup, the efficiency rate needs to be there. And I think with Gainwell, it may take, like every other rookie, it may take a little bit of time. But I think right out of the gates, I mean, Gainwell should, should take Scott's job to me almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he is. He's going to see quite a bit in the passing game. And honestly, last year, Sanders didn't see a whole lot. I mean, he had some games where he saw some decent targets. He had seven, eight, four and four, five, 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 six. So he was seeing some, but I could see him just being completely factored out of the passing game as well. If they feel like Gainwell is, is doing enough. The, The problem is though, again, the inconsistency from Miles Sanders. If you look at the overall numbers, you look at it and say, yeah, this is a guy that, that absolutely I want in fantasy football. I mean, he averaged over five yards a carry last year, but it's when he goes like back, 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 back performances of 95, 95, then drops down to 46, um, goes 80 and does 118. He's inactive for two weeks, comes back and goes 85, 66, but then he has 15, then he has 31, then up to 115, then down to 64, 57. You know, and during this time, he's averaging 5.67, 4.13, down to 2.5, 3.1, up to 8.2, down to 3.7, down to 3.8. So that's that's my concern with Sanders is, is a little bit too much of the roller coaster. Mm. Now, me personally, I'm still fine owning Miles Sanders as my RB2 if I can pull it off. Yep. Um, but I think you got to be ready for it. You just have to understand that he's probably going to take a little bit of a hit in the passing game. And that if the inconsistencies do kind of roll over, he might end up taking another hit as well. So it's just one of those things you have to factor in when you're drafting him. Yeah, I completely agree. And and this is one of these situations where for me, if I'm drafting Miles Sanders, I'm hedging my bets all day long in every single draft that I take him and I'm getting Gainwell as well. I think that is the safest play you can probably do at this point when we're talking. Things can change and morph as we as we discuss. I mean, it's only May, but I mean, this is one of these situations where I'm planning already ahead for Miles Sanders. If if I fall, he if he falls into my lap on my team, I, I'm definitely hedging the bets with with Gainwell in that department. Next rookie is Mr. Jamar Chase. He made a little bit of wave coming in this draft. And, you know, we, we thought, I thought it was for sure. Seawall going to Cincinnati bolster that offensive line. They didn't really do it. They did it in the second round with a lesser talented uh, offensive guard, I believe if not tackle, but I mean, you, you draft chase and, and you gotta believe that Joe Burrow was in the ear of general manager saying, Hey, pick my guy, because we're going to do wondrous things. And, and Jamar Chase, to me, he we've seen this so many times. He is the true alpha wide receiver. They blew up in, in LSU. Zach Taylor is the, the prodigy from the Micah, uh, or Sean McVay, excuse me, uh, system. 
this is this is all very good news on paper, but I mean, will we see it come to fruition? Now you have a trio of wide receivers that literally you're going to have defenses struggling to stop. I mean, uh, what are we saying about this receiving core altogether now with Jamar Chase? The, this one I'm so conflicted on. Because mm. first of all, love Jamar Chase, my wide receiver one. Yep. I would have rather have seen him go to a team that, you know, could have like utilized him as their wide receiver one right away. So I don't know if we're going to see a true Jamar chase performance next year, because again, Tyler Boyd is going to get his due T Higgins is going to get his due. Um, and then is Joe Mixon used in the passing game at all. So I've got him a little bit lower as far as impact goes for 2021 moving forward. It's absolutely great. I think if they decide to move on from Tyler Boyd at any point in time, now you only have two wide receivers there that fits a little bit better. It's just so hard to watch them pass on a guy like Sewell, knowing that they've had so many issues on their offensive line and to address it, try to address it in the second round. Like they did. Um, It just, I don't know. I I, I agree. it, it, It kind of perplexes me. And was he in their year ear probably but it's at the same time too it's like dude you're coming off an acl tear like why do you want to keep getting hit like why wouldn't you want a guy put sewell at right left tackle you can move jonah williams over to right tackle holy lord let's go here i think it was it was it was mike clay um on twitter today posted like hit strength of position for each position for each team And the Bengals had the second lowest score at 0.8 for offensive line. It's like, what are y'all doing? Like, why? You already have wide receivers. You already have a running back. Protect your quarterback, man. And then they could have gone. They could have gone with Marshall in the second round if they wanted to. Absolutely. They could have gone Terrace Marshall Jr. in the second round. Still gotten a guy that Burrow had connections with at LSU. And gone from there. So I don't know. Like, I want to be excited about it. Part of me gets it and understands it. But the other part of me is it just doesn't. So I I, I don't really know. It's hard to talk about this. Yeah, and I get it. I mean, because, you know, I'm of the school of thought that you take best player available nine times out of ten. I, I, I truly believe that. I think if you take best player available in the NFL draft, you're setting your team up for success regardless of need. However, picking in the top five, Sewell was this guy. He was best player available and did fit a need as well. So, I mean, that's a marriage that you truly want, especially when your quarterback has a, a, a scar on his knee that looks like it was done by a blind doctor. I mean, like, seriously, have you seen that, the stitch up on that? need like good god where did he get this thing done man yep but i mean i agree I, and you know the thing is I'm, I'm trying to understand it because we've seen teams do this we saw the colts do it with andrew luck they didn't give him offensive line that's the best uh, a compromise or compliment we can say for a team with a co- young quarterback who has weapons but they don't have a line andrew luck is like the the gold standard in that department and mm-hmm. and now what we're saying is joe burrow coming off the acl concern will he get off the pup to start the season we still don't know um, so, I mean, in this point, now it's going to inhibit the production because you're going to be playing a backup quarterback with this trio of wide receivers. But could we still see here's the here's where the light bulb twitches. Could we see Chase be like the CD lamb, even though the Dallas Cowboys were loaded? And that's why, you know, Michael Gallup kind of took a back seat. Do we see Tyler Boyd or Higgins take a back seat and Chase kind of take the alpha? It's a great conversation and a great topic because it's really hard, a hard one to decipher at this point. Can I ask you a quick question? Yeah. So I was looking through a few stats and this like on the side, it popped up like as a little news article about Dan Morgan and the Carolina Panthers trying to steal him away from Buffalo. Yes. 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 I saw what, what is he right now? Their assistant, assistant oh, director of player personnel and right. assistant general, general manager. manager. And here's the thing. I mean, you know, the Buffalo Bills, they, they lucked out with Brandon Bean. So when, when the Carolina Panthers uh, had Dave Gettleman, Brandon Bean was his understudy and assistant GM. He was supposed to take over the role and Buffalo swooped in and, and stole him. And look what's happened. Brandon Bean is a very intelligent man and they totally missed the boat in Carolina. 
now with this guy, he's getting the tutelage from Brandon Bean, and now they're gonna pill for him as well. They're gonna yeah. go. They're gonna go take him. They're gonna go take him back. So I mean, it's it's funny how things work sometimes, right? This seems like super late in the off season to totally. be requesting interviews. Totally, and I think they realize how good he really is. The, the you know the Bills completely transformed their their upper management room, and and you can see. I mean, the players now want to play there. You know, the the all the teams covet who they have. Oh, funny side note: we we have an undrafted rookie free agent that uh, is actually Warren G's son. He plays defensive back from USC. I thought that was kind of cool. Okay, then. Yeah. I, mean, <laughs> I I mean I can't say enough about the Buffalo Bills front office and player personnel and development team because I was really wrong about Josh. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah, man. See, you called him Ryan Mallet, man. I should, I should jump through this screen and slap you, man. To be fair, I always said that the talent was there, but yeah. I thought Buffalo was going to ruin him. I thought Buffalo was going to start him too quickly. He wasn't going to have time to develop. I had said if he went to a team like New England and could take over for Tom Brady, that he would be that guy in a few years. Mm. I just thought he was too raw coming out. I've been wrong. But you weren't you weren't necessarily wrong on the thought process to where you got there because Buffalo didn't have a track record. This mm-hmm. was the new regime that took over. So, I mean, complete process change. And, and that's why the difference, I believe, when you have good management in your house and look at your Detroit Lions. I mean, you can't say anything bad about your draft. This is exactly what you need. I gave them a B minus. But you, you needed this. This is the bottom floor. You're on the bottom floor, man. I just don't understand how they passed on Marshall in round two for a defensive tackle. <laughs> he almost burned his studio on that one. It was, it was close. He was, I got super. If, if that pick would have had, if we would have been live for that pick, you would have seen me get pretty upset. Yeah, it was, it, it, defensive tackle in the third round. I absolutely get it, but you need playmakers. You don't have any playmakers outside of uh, TJ Hawkinson. We don't know what we have with Cephas yet. Yes, we have Swift. That's fine. Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perryman are going to be your outside wide receivers. Like there was just, there was too much Dan Campbell in this draft. And that's what bothered me with it. It it felt like this really old school mentality where we absolutely have to draft these hardcore, hard nose, rough around the edges, linemen on the offensive and defensive side of the ball. We have to play nasty. The NFL isn't that way anymore. Sewell was a great pick, okay? The offensive line has not been great in Detroit for a while. More than likely, you're going to be replacing Jared Goff in a year or two anyway. But listen, get some playmakers for him while he's there. At least try (laughs) because you don't want to have anybody. Williams has never been Williams has never really stayed healthy. I mean, he's been in two different spots. Now you look at a guy like Perryman and outside of a really good stretch of games uh, back in Tampa Bay, when he was like the only wide receiver healthy for a few weeks, Mm -hmm. he hasn't been that good. We don't know what we have with Steve. That's just my thing. Like when you pass on a guy like Marshall, who could be really, really, really good. Like, why not get him now and let him develop? And then when you've got a rookie quarterback coming in, you're not trying to bring him in with younger, like, talent. Like, Marshall's going to be two or three years down the road, and he's going to be the alpha wide receiver on this team. I just – I can't believe it. It, yeah. it just blew my mind. I was like, yeah. he's there. We're going to get him. Oh, my God. What? Defensive tackle. <laughs> so, uh yeah, I get it. I mean, I, I can't hate it only because I understand Dorsey's method of, of rebuilding. So, I mean, that's that's kind of where I see it. I get your point of view. I mean, you know, you get Marshall to get to that point. But again, you see it from the other school of thought is saying if you draft playmakers now for a quarterback who's not going to have them, you're kind of wasting their upside and talent when you got to have them on their rookie deal. Right. So I will say this. I was not nearly as not nearly as tough on them as one of the Detroit sports writers was. I don't know. Did you see this? No. So he gave them a grade of an F. Wow. And rated the Sewell pick as a D minus. Wow. And How? said that, I mean, just absolutely torched them in the paper. I will say this. I've called this guy out on Twitter before for just posting just like clickbait articles. Cause he posted an article like two years ago about Matthew Stafford 
And I mean, it was just, it was horrendous. It was like, he's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. And I mean, I just, I couldn't believe it was coming out of Detroit sports writer's mouth. So he's, he's a crappy person. I'm never going to mention his name right now, but I was like D minus for the soul pick. Like you're an idiot, bro. Like, come on. Do you even watch football at all? Like, come on. Yeah, no. So I'm not that tough. Yeah, no, no, not that tough. Let's close this one out on this topic because it was I got I got ripped on this one on Twitter by by a character. Um, and I mean, you know, I wasn't being disrespectful. You did. You got ripped on Twitter. I didn't hear about it. Yeah, I know. You guys were sleeping or something. I don't know what was happening, man. My backup <laughs> wasn't there. But I mean, you know, here's the thing. And we've discussed this. We we did we actually discussed it on the live stream. It was soon as the Baltimore Ravens drafted uh, 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 Rashad and they drafted uh, Wallace. We, we both agreed. We were saying Lamar Jackson has no more excuses anymore. Right. And, and, and I said the same thing, and I put it together with Sam Darnold because I think it's very appropriate. Sam Darnold's situation is very different than Lamar Jackson's. Lamar Jackson is an MVP. Lamar Jackson now has taken his team to the playoffs and won a playoff game. But, I mean, you're still waiting to see that, that next level progression for Lamar Jackson, AKA, like we're saying for Josh Allen, right? You're, you're wanting him to take that next step. And, and the argument has always been, he does not have enough weapons, quality weapons that will take him over the top. That's where I was going with this comment. And then I said, I put him and Sam Darnold in the exact same tweet. And I said, Sam Darnold and Lamar Jackson both don't have excuses anymore because I'm putting them together as quarterbacks. This is how it is. And, and, and the comment coming back at me was what more does Lamar have to prove? He's a, a unanimous MVP, et cetera, et cetera. And I said, you know, it's not a disrespectful comment towards Lamar Jackson whatsoever. I'm speaking about it solely as the football perspective. Okay. Yes. Okay. They're both. Both very young, what Lamar is 24, Darnold's 23. Darnold had a different situation, and I'm not trying to excuse that for him. But now he's in a situation that's extremely favorable in Carolina with a fabulous coaching staff, weapons galore. Now you have Lamar Jackson with the same type of situation where his weapons are fantastic. His defense is still very good. What else can we say? I'm just saying it from, from you know the ground floor here. There is no more excuses for both of these men. Well, you're not, it's not even really like us saying it either. There are people out there who truly believe Lamar Jackson is a bad quarterback. I mean, right. So it's not even, it's not even really like us that's saying he's a bad quarterback. It's us saying it's time to put that to rest. There is, there, there is another level to his game, but the, the question has always been, a, does he have enough weapons? And B, do they ever throw it enough? Correct. That's kind of been been the thing because, I mean, the last couple of years, he has 400 attempts in 2019 and then only 376 last year. So they even took a step back mm-hmm. last year and ran the football even more. That's a, This is the thing where, yes, we've seen an MVP season, 36 passing touchdowns, um, he added another, why doesn't it show running? Where, where was his Russian? Um, another seven touchdowns on the ground in 2019 when he won MVP. But do people not realize like how much more dangerous this man could become if mm. his completion percentage goes from like 66, 64, even if we bump it closer to 70, right. like if, if we can get closer to that, and not only that, but have the weapons to extend the field. Because I think that's part of the problem right now is they don't really have the weapons to extend the field. You do have Marquise Brown, but he's never he's he's had some injury issues. They were not on the same page last year, right. not until the end of the season anyway. And look at the way they performed at the end of the season when that really clicks. So let's get some wide receivers out there that can stretch the field that are true threats that people have to be scared about. And then we can run the football even more. And that makes Lamar Jackson even more dangerous because now you've got, maybe you've got like some nickel sets out there where you've got, you know, some, some five defensive backs where you're running and and spreading it out a little bit more. And you only have two linebackers on the field. Are there any linebackers in this league that can catch Lamar Jackson? No, not many of them, if any. So then now when you're even putting it at a point where these linebackers aren't going to be able to spy because you don't have enough guys on the field, it's, it's just going to pick up the yardage after that anyway. So that's part of, you know, that's how I see it. I don't see it as, you know, he can't, or he doesn't have the talent to, 
He absolutely does, but they, they haven't really had the system or the personnel in place, I think, to really utilize everything that he could do and exactly exactly where i was going with that and i mean the same goes for for the josh allens for the sam darnolds josh allens progression was was very low and then it it started to move up why because they altered the mechanics and they morphed the system to make him this way okay i'm stefan diggs (laughs) exactly right and now you became a passing offense here's the thing with lamar jackson i he's got a cannon for an arm i never i wasn't being disrespectful on them man i like his game i do but here's the thing if you want to show me even in the mvp year that was rpo central it was play action pass central that's why he was throwing all these touchdowns nobody knew how to defend it the nfl now more for the year after and we saw the inefficiency in lamar's game last year did it have everything to do with lack of weapons i'll even say yes that's fine and and i think it, it, it every nobody would really disagree with that i mean hollywood brown is not your prototypical number one wide receiver that you want maybe Bateman is this kind of almost alpha guy that you would think that could take him over the top I'm of the opinion that I really truly believe that Bateman can take Lamar to the next level kind of like a Stefan Diggs did for uh, uh, Josh Allen but flipping gears to Sam Darnold in that same respect, I mean, you're going to Carolina now with a Joe Brady, who I absolutely love. I think he is in the category of the Kyle Shanahan's. I think he is a, he is learning very quickly. He is an offensive genius mastermind. And with Sam Darnold in this offense, I really want to see it. And now we always discuss, you know, turnovers being his problem as well. The fumbles, the interceptions, and the, and the poor reads. And that's, that's very true. But he wasn't an Adam Gase system. So you got to give him a little bit of slack there as well. Like we're saying with Lamar, you're giving Lamar a little bit of slack because he didn't have the offensive weapons. See the correlation where I'm going here? Twitter, like, come on. There was no disrespect here. It was just factual information of what we've seen with both these quarterbacks. Yep. Yeah. And, and I mean, the biggest thing for Sam Darnold is he doesn't have Adam Gase on the sideline anymore with him, which was a bit, but I mean, I haven't got, I, I haven't given up on him. I wasn't as, I wasn't as high as many people on him coming out of the draft, but to say the dude has been an absolute bust so far, I can't do it. Cause he hasn't had a good situation. I mean, if he had good players around him and a good head coach and you know, those things, and he had already flamed out, then yeah, I would probably be, you know, give the guy another chance. Now he's got plenty of weapons. He's got mm. a better offensive uh, mind around him. We'll see. We'll see what he does. And who knows? I mean, this is it. Maybe they, maybe he resurrects his career here. Maybe this is Ryan Tannehill 2.0 mm. and he goes out here and, you know, he absolutely becomes, you know, a guy that what you had to draft as a, as a top three, top five player, if you wanted him in that draft. And now you got him for a second and a third or whatever it was. So mm. I mean, that could be a steal. That could be an absolute steal. And on top of it, you didn't even have to use a pick this year on a quarterback because that was the biggest thing was that Cleveland or, uh, excuse me, um, that uh, Carolina was going to have to use a pick on a quarterback this year. Now you just completely stole the draft because you didn't have to spend a pick on Fields or Mac Jones right there. So, I mean, I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for those weapons there. And I, I think if there's a situation to turn it around, this is it. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's that's all I was getting at, man. Like, damn, everyone's got to be so sensitive. Sometimes. Calm down, Twitter. Calm the hell down. Jesus. You know, there's no offense here. <laughs> we're, we're just trying to talk football, man. And what we see, like, chill the hell out, man. Well, thank you, sir. That was fun. It was fun. That's all I got today. Is man. this the longest episode that's been done so far? It's been a while since we've had this one go this long. It's good. I was going to say, I think, I think normally you guys stick to right around an hour and we're a yeah. little bit over that, but that's okay. I'm good you, with it. You, you just like to talk a lot, man. So I let you talk. Yeah. We, yeah. we both like to talk a lot. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> if it's football, I'm talking all day long. Anyway, so we'll close this one out, man. So on that note, that is the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. You can find me on Twitter at Chris underscore FH1. You can find Kyle on Twitter at KRich1532. To all the listeners, thank you for all the support. And on behalf of Kyle, thanks again for listening. And until next time, stay safe and be kind to each other. I'm out.